You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, John Hartley, Director of Product Management at Centrica Business Solutions, spoke to Future Net Zero about the obstacles and opportunities that businesses around the world will face on their journeys towards net zero and how Centrica Business Solutions can help them develop a successful decarbonisation strategy to thrive in the lead-up towards 2050. Welcome everybody to this podcast with uh, Future Net Zero. I'm here today with John Hartley from Centrica Business Solutions. Uh, John, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice sunny autumnal day. How, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I'm looking out the window. It's uh, nice scenery, not too much sun, but I can handle it. <laughs> I'm also a great lover of, uh, of podcasts. I've used a lot of them during lockdown to to stay connected. So hopefully we can make this one uh, an interesting and engaging one. I really love it. So podcasts are the key to having got you through uh, this this difficult year. It's helped. Yeah, definitely helped. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like you say, hopefully uh, hopefully our audience will feel the same about this one. Before we jump into things, could you give us a quick introduction about yourself and what you do? Sure. So, hi, everyone. I, I work in Centrica Business Solutions. We are an energy uh, solutions company that work mainly with large businesses and organisations to help them run their energy infrastructure and, and lower their carbon. Uh, and I am the product director. So, I'm accountable for the things that we that we sell, things we take to our customers, um, and really which technologies, which software we we bring into our portfolio. So, so that's me. Spent uh, 10, 15 years working in the energy industry, and uh, a lot of that working on on low carbon uh, products. So hopefully, can can give a few insights from that uh, from that career. Reaching net zero is obviously very important before, and but de- decarbonising for businesses, I think that that must have become even more important this year with you know purse strings tightening for nearly all sectors. People working out how they can cut their energy bills and save money in doing so, bringing their overheads down. And I imagine that kind of the way that net zero is going to be delivered um, might have actually changed over this year. And it's obviously a large long-term commitment. But what's your view now on how people should? Take tackle this challenge and is that different to how you might have advised them uh, this time last year yeah it's a good a good question i think the advice is pretty similar but i think the perception people have is now is now different so previously there's been a view that you can either decarbonize or manage your your finances but but decarbonization you know costs money I think there's now an understanding and a recognition that you can do both decarbonisation and cost reduction at, at the same time. They they go hand in hand. So it's a it's a, a joined up approach. Um, and I think also people's customers have started asking them to change. So now 89% of businesses in a recent survey that we ran said that demonstrating low carbon footprint will be essential for their brand by 2025. So clearly businesses have got this impetus to change, which is a little a little different. Uh, you described, Johnny, the, the, the challenge here, and I, th- I think people see it as an opportunity as well, but, but, but certainly it is challenging because it does need people and businesses to change what they're, what they're doing now. And there are three things I think it's worth calling out in terms of how organizations should tackle the challenge uh, to, to, your, to your question. And those three things which which have stood out for me uh, talking to lots of businesses about this are, are firstly around aligning your decarbonisation strategy with a business strategy 
uh, I think it, it works less well when you have a decarbonisation plan which sits separate to what your core business does. So, for example, if you produce units of a product, trying to work out what the carbon impact of that product is today and what you want to get it down to and how that helps you to sell more of those or, or help your customers decarbonise, I think is really important. So, so placing decarbonisation at the heart of your business strategy is a, is a good a good kind of step one. Yeah, it needs to be integrated, doesn't it? Otherwise, it's just it's never going to come together too smoothly. Exactly. And that's something we've really seen uh, change the last few years is senior leaders taking more accountability for this and therefore baking it into the heart of a business, a business plan. Um, I think that the next crucial thing is having a phased plan with clear milestones to achieve the strategy, because it's not easy to get all the way to net zero in in one big step. I think you have to do it in a in a in a phased way, and you need that first phase to prove that you can make some traction quickly and and that this isn't just a a long term thing, but you can actually do things in in the short term, which which have a, a real impact. And I think we'll talk about uh, a few of those a few of those later. So that's kind of advice step number two is have a, a phased plan with some clear milestones ideally where you align yourself to a, a protocol such as a, a science-based target and, and know what you're what you're shooting for um, and then the third thing to call out in terms of practical advice is to to baseline what your carbon is today so measure that ideally starting with scopes one and two because they're often the easiest and then if you can engage your supply chain and your customers getting into what what scope three um, looks like as well. So getting that that baseline in place also also really important as a, as a starting point to, to tackle the challenge. And I suppose when even if a business does those three things, they need to be able to track everything, don't they, as well? So it's I, I've heard more and more about the importance of data being important. Uh, to kind of keep track of what's going on in your business and being part of planning and delivering the decarbonisation path. How, how does data really work in, in real and simple terms for some of the businesses that might be out there listening to this podcast now? Uh, what does data mean for them and how can they actually use it? Yes, it's a great way, data, of bringing to life the achievements that are being realised if you're making steps to decarbonise. So a couple of examples to call out, we we do some carbon monitoring in a hospital where there's a big dashboard in the atrium as you walk in where you can see what the carbon footprint is, how that's changed through the day, how it links to the amount of solar power being produced, etc. So for the hospital staff and people visiting, it kind of shows them their, their progress but also for the people in the hospital who are managing the energy infrastructure, it helps them show that if they make a decision, such as an energy efficiency program or solar installation, they can not only see the impact of that day-to-day in their atrium, but they can also forecast, okay, if we do something else, what will what will that be? Um, and so that's, that's one example. Another great one for us has been in, in schools where you can show uh, a school for their pupils to help them understand again what the impact of carbon reduction measures um, is. So I think data is important if it can be turned into good insight to show the impact of, uh, of decarbonisation. We've got a, a, an energy insight solution platform called Power Radar which connects up 
uh, kind of device level monitoring uh, with um, what's happening with people's carbon footprints to try and bring it to life to them. So yeah, it's a good point. It's also important if you, as a business, plan a strategy, get some budget to make it happen, you need to show progress. And this is a great way if you, if you monitor it of, uh, of doing that. So that's what to do in, in the data space to get started on uh, using that in your decarbonisation pathway. But I think a lot of businesses out there, they can they kind of know how to decarbonise energy in the beginning terms because you can do kind of the low-hanging fruit like uh, LED light bulbs or a shift to a renewable electricity supplier. But in terms of decarbonising heat, uh, I think for a lot of companies, it's just a bit of a block, isn't it? Because they're not sure what to do. And heat appears to be one of the most difficult parts of the whole energy system to decarbonise. So what would you advise organisations to do in the, in that space? Yeah, you've gone right into the heart of one of the one of the hardest areas to decarbonise. You're right. I think we've we've seen great progress in the decarbonisation of electricity use, but but heat uh, and to a lesser extent transport are, are lagging lagging behind. I think there are technologies today which work to reduce heat and to uh, sorry heat carbon um, and and do that in an economically viable way. So heat pumps is is the most obvious one. Um, for example, we've been working with a, a big UK supermarket um, for the last five years, installing heat pumps on on more than a dozen of their sites. And that uh, that heat need is being met not through a gas engine, but through those those heat pumps. So the technology does exist today. Really working with a partner who can come in, assess your site, work out what kind of heat pump you need, what else that heat pump needs to go alongside. That's that's really important. Uh, and sometimes you can't completely meet your heat needs by um, using a heat pump. Um, and in that case, we often work with with customers to combine a heat pump with something else, like a, a CHP, which is a combined heat and power unit, which which uses gas and, and outputs heat and electricity. Um, these are very efficient. Uh, they they have a, a effectively a, a, a lower carbon footprint compared to other ways of producing heat, but they do still produce some carbon uh, clearly if they run on gas. And in that case, you can do things to decarbonize the gas that you, you use or effectively offset it through green gas certificates or through some kind of emission offset. So um, it's, a, it's a slightly complicated answer, I'm afraid. It's a slightly complicated picture with heat. But I think some combination of on-site kit like heat pumps and using these green offsets or green gas certificates between them, they're things that we can do now to uh, to do that. Uh, and we've already started and we're working with a number of businesses that are doing those things today. So essentially, it comes down to the fact that there is no one solution and businesses need to find the one that works for them. And the best way of doing that, you think, is uh, through teaming up with a partner to do it together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think I gave the supermarket example. Another good one is uh, we work with the, the interdiocese fuel management company. So they, they help the Catholic Church to um, to meet their energy needs. Um, and we're providing uh, green gas to them. So since 2017, they've been a green gas customer. And when yeah. they do have to use gas, they can use us as a partner to offset the carbon that that gas produces. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, that's a, a good summary. 
I was about to jump onto uh, the other difficult part of decarbonizing the economy, which is transport as well as heat. Before I do, I'll quickly nip back to uh, my my question that I asked you. Actually, I mentioned the fact that electricity is is relatively easy to decarbonize compared to heat and transport, as I just mentioned. But in terms of providing green electricity for organisations, what options do you guys provide to uh, support the journey to net zero? Yeah, so I would think about it in two categories. There's on-site power generation solutions, and solar is the best example of that. And then there are off-site PPAs or power purchase agreements where effectively you you import power from the grid, um, but you you sign up to PPAs to make sure that power has a a low or or zero carbon footprint. So on that that first category of on-site power solutions, solar is now very well established as a a kind of tariff-free, cost-efficient way of generating your own power. So it can lower your cost by as much as 30% in in the UK if you install install solar and the paybacks are are really coming down for that. We've also had a number of examples of where we install solar alongside battery systems to make sure that solar can produce power at the time that businesses will um, will need it. Um, but often you're limited either by the, the space you've got on your roof or the space around you to, to install the solar panels. And so that second category is, is an important one, which is I, I need to import power to my site. I want to do that in a low carbon way and there I, I don't want to kind of use too many acronyms and say ppa too many times because it'll it'll create a bit of confusion but there's a whole market of different ways that we can do that so either you uh, effectively designate a particular green site that you want to buy the the energy from and you can do that or you have a a private wire PPA, it's called, where you put a, a renewable generation facility with wind or solar nearby and you, you import the electricity directly to your site. Or you can do virtual power purchase agreements where um, you can kind of buy the the offtake from green facilities that are scattered over a number of locations. So a number of choices. But I think if I was planning for my own site, I'd think about those two groups. What can I do on my own site? And then what can I do to, to import clean power? Again, it seems like it comes down to what you mentioned before, which is there is no one solution. And it's important for businesses out there to kind of assess their own needs, isn't it? And see what would work for them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, my my practical advice is, and we, we work with companies who do both of these things, is either you have your own uh, experienced energy team internally who really know the market and know, know who to work with. Or particularly if you're a smaller company and energy is not a big part of your core business, find a partner who you trust who can give you the right advice on, um, on, on what to do. Because you're right, I'm sorry I keep saying for everything, you know, there's a number of options and it depends but there is no kind of one size fit all answer. No, but I think I think that's a nice thing because if there was only one solution, like you say, small businesses might not be able to to participate, or uh, certain companies in certain sectors might not be able to take part in this in this journey. But obviously, we need everyone to take part. But I think it's quite nice that we have um, this massive range of solutions, so that you know, it's not if it's not an option for a, a small business to put solar panels on their roof because they don't have access to their roof or something like that then there are other channels that they can still source renewable energy through absolutely and i think that's a really important point is that decarbonization is is not just something which large sites can do i think maybe historically you needed real scale or space 
to justify the investment or to, to make the carbon reduction happen. And you don't anymore. I think both there are there are more products in the market that you can do, which are which are virtual um, or the economics have changed to a point where for a small business, you can get your your kind of paybacks going quickly or if or by a funded solution where you never put any capital outlay out there, but a partner like like us, like Centrica, can um, effectively pay for the kit for you, and then you pay for the energy that you use, and you, and you pay that off over time. So much more options out there now for small businesses than there have been before. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think one of the, this might not be an option for all businesses as well, but obviously electrifying vehicles, as I mentioned, um, and electrifying transport. Uh, is is one way to decarbonize that sector, uh, which is traditionally quite hard to decarbonize because obviously at the moment uh, we rely on petrol and diesel for most of our transportation. Uh, but especially when a company has a renewable energy supply or they have uh, coming from elsewhere or they have on-site renewables um, that providing that clean energy, I think that's very exciting how that can then tie directly into uh, electrifying their fleet with green energy as well. And that, I think that's quite an interesting part of the the journey towards decarbonisation and the kind of the the shift to EVs that we're seeing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've really seen an uptick in in EVs over the past twelve months across a number of areas. So, um, particularly in in uh, fleets of vehicles and and small vans, buses, and also people using them um, at home. So, kind of individual cars and that connection as you describe it between the EV and then the power infrastructure is, is really important in fact we did a, a survey recently where 77 percent of organizations said they're looking to electrify their fleets but less than half of those 43 percent had thought about the power implications and clearly if you're going to start to use EVs on site you're going to start using more electricity you have to work out how to do that in a in a low carbon way and um, there's a great great example of that which uh, I've been to the site a few times and re really um, energized by which is up in Manchester and um, we did a a bus depot program so working with Stagecoach we we they have 32 electric buses and we put all the EV infrastructure in to power them now clearly their energy profile went up their energy demand went up so we've put solar on their roof and we've helped them import more power to their to their site to do that so that that connection is is really important and we're also learning ourselves we've we've ordered so Sandra Groans owns British Gas so we have a big fleet of vans driving around fixing boilers and, and doing other things and we've bought a thousand electric vehicles this year we announced that a couple of months ago so that at the time was the biggest EV fleet in Europe and we're really trying to electrify as much of our fleet as possible and learning a lot as we go. So for example, we're we're able with our engineers to let them charge up at home or charge up at work. And the bill for that is all routed back to Sendrica without them having to kind of pay for it at home and get it get it reimbursed. So the infrastructure that you need to electrify is is really coming on, not just the vehicles, but the charge points the electoral infrastructure to support them and all of the kind of billing and software back end. And this is something that we're really excited about in Centrica, both because we're we're building this capability for ourselves, but also because we're able to to take that to other customers. And um, uh, I think um, I'm optimistic that transport, particularly um, kind of road vehicle decarbonisation is really going to accelerate the next few years. If you, if you look at the, the economics of 
of of these uh, of these vehicles. I think they're um, they're much more attractive than they were even 12 months ago as the, as the car prices come down. Yeah, well, uh, economics is a vital part of any new technology being adopted. And like you say, the uh, electric vehicle adoption and infrastructure seems to be constantly on the rise. So they do make sense economically and they, they need to to uh, to continue along this path. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think if you combine all the costs together so and you get the total cost of ownership, so not just the vehicle, but also the fuel, the maintenance, the insurance, the tax that it pays, electric vehicles now make make good financial sense for for a lot of people and for, for a lot of businesses, in, including ours. Yeah, and they, they it's, it's interesting that they it, they kind of underline the need for, um, or not necessarily the need, but the, the, the major benefit that businesses would get from working with a partner um, to electrify their fleets because they can kind of gain from this wealth of information and knowledge about what would suit them uh, and kind of the steps to make and turn quite an intimidating choice maybe to electrify their fleet um, into one that could actually you know help them realize that they can save money save the environment and streamline lots of parts of their business yeah absolutely and we've we found because our fleet is so big we've learned so much about how to electrify effectively what the business case looks like that we want to add more and more fleet partners into that partnership with us so we can learn together and also really get the cost down together i think the the bigger that fleet of vans be it our vans or our customers vans which are all using the same uh, kind of charging um infrastructure the better and, and and you really really benefit from that economy of scale and also from um from the lessons that you learn as you as you do it absolutely agree well, that's a lot of fantastic information uh, you've given us there, John. Uh, but I'd like to round up uh, with just asking, how can Centrica Business Solutions uh, overall help organisations today with their decarbonisation strategy? So what, what can you help these companies do right now? Yeah, so the, the short answer is the steps I outlined earlier on are things that we do every day with businesses across the world. So we've got kind of six and a half thousand um, sites across about 30, 30 odd countries. And the practical things are on-site power infrastructure. So we we design, build and install everything from solar panels to um, to batteries to uh, EV infrastructure um, or the off-site solutions we, we, we talked about. We have one of the biggest portfolios in Europe of um, uh, of, of PPAs and green gas certificates. So whether it's on-site power or, or off-site solutions you're looking for, these are things that we do um, at scale. And um, we also do a lot of the things I talked about to help get started. So how monitoring your carbon. These are things which we do with, with wireless sensors you can kind of click on and, and get data from quickly. And also the kind of upfront strategy piece, we, we advise lots of customers on their energy pathway, how they decarbonize, what their plan should be. So whether it's to help with the planning, help with the monitoring and baselining up front, or actually getting started with practical things you can do quickly, they're all things that we do with customers around the world every day. We're 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 doing with ourselves and we're really, really passionate about working with others to uh, to do and hopefully a few uh, a few examples of that have come out uh, have come out today, but that's the that's the summary. 
Well, thank you very much, John, for a very informing presentation there. Lots of great information. And thank you, obviously, to all of our audience that uh, will be listening to this podcast. Just before you go, I'd like to remind you that you can get more great information like this and find out what steps to take next uh, on futurenetzero.com. Uh, and of course, on the British Gas Business page, uh, you can find out lots more from what John was talking about there. So thank you, John, and have a great day. I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. You have been listening to a Future Net Zero podcast along with our partner, British Gas. This has been a promoted podcast. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.